Welcome to Talking Agility, a podcast from Accenture. Your host is Elitza Nacheva. Hello and welcome back to Talking Agility. In today's episode, we're going to focus on agility in the face of disruption. I'm pleased to welcome back Andy Young for today's conversation. Andy joins me from his home in London today. Andy, welcome back to Talking Agility. It's a pleasure having you again. Thanks, Ellie. I'm enjoying today being both a school teacher and uh, an Accenture MD at the same time. So uh, <laughs> delighted to be on the podcast with you. <laughs> Many skills at play. So hopefully the kids have given you a little break so you can join us uh, for the next uh, 20 minutes or so for a conversation. <laughs> Um, Andy, it's really great to have you back and um, this episode particularly I'm interested in because it's all around agility in the face of disruption and we do live in a very disrupted time right now. So I'll jump straight into my first question. Um, And we've spoken previously about how agility is more than just a trendy buzzword, but actually a strategic imperative for all organizations all across each industry. So what is your view of the current business climate in terms of our ability to respond with agility during disruption? Well, clearly for our listeners, it's going to depend on when they listen to this podcast. We're in uh, pretty unprecedented times. Regardless of those, disruptions are pretty inescapable and growing challenge for all industries in the long term as well. About 71% of the 10,000 companies we looked at recently are in or on the brink of significant disruption. That's about $41 trillion of enterprise value exposed to disruption. I'd only guess that's gone up in the last few months. Um, That disruption might be from elections, trade wars, social change, um, political events and so on. Um, You know, there's obviously very live um, events going on now with the pandemics and um, things that we're all naturally very concerned about as, as, as humans. And we can all relate to that disruption right now. In the longer term, a lot of that disruption is driven by new waves of technology converging and being applied into in- industries that exist or building new industries, uh, both by new entrants and existing players. W- what's really interesting is in that business climate end of your question, Ellie, is the what happens when companies are in the middle of disruption. Some make very cautious moves, um, mm-hmm. playing it safe. Um, that's quite risky amongst disruption. Um, others make a deliberate choice about transforming their current business and building out a future business. They choose to be the the disruptors rather than being the disrupted organizations. Mm. That applies a little bit to governments today in a way as well. Um, but Andy, one interesting thing that I wanted to ask about is what is the impact of disruption on, on humans? How does that affect us in our day-to-day? Um, so you know, clearly a lot of those disruptions have a direct human impact, um, social change, the current events obviously have a huge, huge social impact. If we step back and look at the kind of the, the bigger disruption of, of, of technology on the world, and that's only being accelerated right now, actually, as we sort of step into um, large scale home working and virtual working, we're in a post-digital age right now. Um, over half consumers feel that technology is central to their day lives and people spend about six and a half hours online every day. In our latest technology vision work, we, we put forward the idea of a tech clash that people don't oppose technology. They're really excited about it still and intrigued by it and want to work with it, um, want it in their lives. It was pretty clear if you're spending six and a half hours online each day. 
but we're, de we're developing deploying that technology in a way that really is just not fit for human beings we're not mm -hmm. we're not designing it into working lives into our home lives in a way that is done in a mindful and sensible way and there's things like you know the way we're handling um data trust um or the impact of privacy you know things like the impact of ai on jobs that we need to, we need to design those things in, in a much better way as we make these big changes through our organizations as a result of that tech disruption um, and this whole kind of parallel movement of um me to we this kind mm. of idea that we're um moving towards emphasizing experiences that are you know for everybody um and for changing everyone's lives as society and this whole movement towards um, responsible business so i think we'll only see based on the current events um, dialed up even further no, completely. And do you think um, what you just mentioned in terms of steps would be enough for us to uh, be the disruptors and not be the disrupted? <laughs> well, look, I think it's, um, it's <laughs> being in that storm of disruption is a bit like being out in, a, in the boat in the middle of um, summer. I shared this analogy with a with a conference recently, this idea that you're out sea and the, and the sea is nice and calm and you kind of know where you're going and you've got a, a ship full of um, cargo and crew and passengers and then suddenly that storm blows in and the clouds build the sky turns gray the waves get all choppy and the rain lashes down and you're in the middle of the storm all of a sudden and that choice about do you turn the ship around do you give up do you, mm. do you abandon the ship and hit the lifeboats or do you navigate on through the storm that's kind of the choice about whether you want to be the disruptor whether you want to build that future business or whether you're going to be disrupted and you know that's just it a lot of that is a leadership mindset there's a lot of kind of circumstantial things around where you started from as well but actually that mindset about we're going to go and build and scale our future business i'm going to transform our core business today um that's very much at the heart of of navigating disruptions successfully i think it's also about thinking about transformation as more than a one-time thing so i think about Agility really at the core of businesses. Uh, agility for continual change inside. Um, it's you know agility is not just a uh, not just a sort of today current paradigm thing and how do we improve. It's also a hat when something sort of left field black swan event type happens. How do we respond? How do we sense that coming? And how do we respond to yeah. to the event um, or something that's you know more of a sort of slow boil type disruption? Some of the competitive threats. How do we respond with agility to that and build out a, a new business for the future? So I think it's both those small changes that we make, but also the the big changes. And those will be the the ones that enable us to to navigate on through the storm. Yeah, I was just about to say, so hopefully with those two in mind, most will try to navigate through the storm and not just abandon the ship and hit the, the lifeboats. Um, so... On to my question too, kind of exploring a, a bit of a different uh, but related topic. Um, so it's clear that we live in an unprecedented times in terms of the disruption as you alluded to um, in our first question. So it's important to build the capacity to, as you say, navigate the storm. Um, and you've spoken before about the importance of leadership and vision, and we've covered that previously. So what, what would you say are some things that leaders can be thinking about in this particular moment? Leadership matters more than ever, and we've, we've just to quickly recap for listeners who've 
miss our previous podcast. You know, vision has the strongest link to benefits realization through transformation. Leadership at all levels has the strongest link to business performance through transformation. We measure that empirically. So those things are super, super important. They become even more important as we hit disrupted times. Um, it's very easy for the, in that middle of that storm for the crew to lose confidence, for the passengers to panic, for even for the captain to sort of lose the call and you know lose their head. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, what we really want to do is have leaders who can engage um, both the passengers and crew with you know, what we call heads, hearts and hands, you know, the, mm. the, the rational change that makes sense right now, starting people's hearts, you know, something that they can belong to, that they can believe in and mm. no big change, no change ever worth happening happened without that emotion. And then the hands bit, actually getting them to practically do something about it and you know, if, if you can get um, a vision, a path forwards that's both, you know, cl- clear when it needs to be clear, and sometimes that will be very short term. Um, I suspect there's a lot of strategies out there now that need to be in that, that sort of time horizon, um, or transformational, um, but that clarity about where we're going and what we're doing and, what, frankly, what we're not doing right now. And then something that um, can really engage people with, you know, engage their emotion, engage their actions, as well as their heads. That's super important. The other aspect right now is a lot of what a lot of the change we're going through is is politically and socially loaded change. Mm-hmm. Uh, this idea about um, people want to trust business of kind of the breakdown trust in the media and in governments, and actually the desire to see business behave responsibly and leaders of businesses to behave responsibly. So, you know, I think kind of hand in hand with that, you know, that need to build vision and and leadership at all levels is also the need to act with you know purpose and with responsibility completely and i think that was one topic that was covered extensively and actually was the forefront topic and headline at the the davos conference that was not that long ago so i think very much resonates so i I guess sticking to our analogy of navigating through stormy times we've talked about developing leadership at all levels um, and the importance of communicating the strong vision is is hugely important um, and as you said kind of engaging through the heads hearts and minds and, and hands we've also seen that during uncertain weather there can be some strong impulse for teams to just um, batten down the hatches and retreat to all ways of working what have you observed about coaches of truly agile organizations that might be helpful to share with our listeners Agility is really about being agile, not doing agile. Um, so th- these kind of cultural reflexes, these mindsets and ways of working behaviours are right at the heart of whether your organisation is agile or not. Now, clearly, there are other things like having the right data platforms, the right technologies that are going to be critical as well. But really, if you don't have the you know the cultural muscle set right, then and you're not continuing to build that cultural muscle, then you're going to struggle. Um, yeah, on the journey to be agile. Mm-hmm. So um, you look at kind of agile organizations that they typically spend, especially as leadership teams and, you know, frontline businesses, more time looking outwards at customer needs, experiences, but also it's kind of the wider ecosystem and what's going on um, in the market. They collaborate internally within teams across silos and externally much more easily than, than other organizations. And, they have this sort of spark around creativity, um, experimentation, trying something new and continual learning, mm. um, being transparent about both failure and success. So those are all things you'd 
often see in a truly agile organization. I personally believe that culture is very unique to every every client and every strategy. So, you know, I think those are things that organizations have to find their own way into. Um, one industry's creativity and experimentation will be very different to another's. And, and those aren't magical things. Those are all people and teams and leaders behaving in a learned way. They're mm-hmm. a pattern of behavior, um, a set of habits within an organization. So we, um, when we're looking at these topics with clients, we, we use behavioral science techniques. Um, um, one of the partners we work with um, are called What If. They're a company we um, recently brought into the Accenture family. Um, and we've worked with them at very, very large scale. Um, uh, Lloyds Banking Group, a, a public case that recently won a number of awards, both for the bank and for What If, um, to introduce this mass experimentation into their business as part of their efforts to becoming uh, a more agile organization, which that they're very much kind of well on the journey about. Now, one of the things underneath all of those new behaviors is, and, and especially that, that willingness to experiment with something new, is what we talked about back in episode 13 with Edwin um, Ellie, which was about psychological safety, belonging, and trust. Yep. And, you know, really in the middle of that storm, that fear going through the minds of passengers, a crew, us as captains can, can, can create a fight, flight, or freeze response. Yes. But if we're in a position where we build trust, where we feel safe, or we can feel, feel we can be fully ourselves, actually that's the moment where, you know, all those behaviours of truly agile organisations will see those thrive. Even in, the, even in the most toughest disruptive conditions, that, that team, that crew will pull together to get us through. At a real micro level, you see that because actually the moment where something's going wrong and you feel uncomfortable to share the concern or when something should be said about the future but you don't say it, that's where we miss out. Those small things, that's where we miss out in organisations from not having the whole of our people there with us. You know, where you actually have the opposite of that and you have psychological safety and belonging and trust, that's the moment where someone can speak up, they can be fully themselves, they, you know, they're comfortable to share the half-formed idea or the concern. And that's where, whether it's facing, you know, disruptive threats or whether it's facing disruptive opportunities or bluntly, in most of the cases, a bit of both, that's where we need to have psychological safety, belonging and trust right at the heart of, of our organisations for the future. Oh, completely. And also in turn, it sort of um, empowers empowerment, if you like. People feel that they're empowered to step up and, and share something that may not necessarily be going well without uh, the fear of ha- any repercussions going their way. So I agree completely, completely so hugely important and we are going to hyperlink episode 13 of building trust and overcoming fear with edwin and yourself just so if our listeners want to revisit um andy on that point as well can you speak to the role of inclusion and diversity in actually building agility during disruption yeah of course so a lot of organizations ourselves included lean into diversity because it brings a, a wider set of voices at the table the check and balance on decision making and represents the world we live in now rather than a monochrome world of the past. But this is where diversity alone is probably not enough. Actually, a lot of the research studies show that it's not enough. And I think particularly when you when you put teams at the end of a video conference, and we work 
you know, I was, I was thinking this morning about this podcast as, you know, I've, I've, I've run more internationally distributed teams than I have co-located teams in my life. Yeah. Um, and that can be really difficult, but it can also be really rewarding when you get it right and you create the right environment. And that's very much as a leader, you need to create that right inclusive environment. And, and the, the kind of, the moment of truth for that one is actually, you know, for that person who is not the norm inside your organisation. So if you took your, you know, average bank or pharmaceutical organisation or your government organisation, you know, does that young woman who is on a technical apprenticeship with you, who maybe grew up, you know, on the wrong side of town, um, does she feel like she belongs in your organisation and in her team right now? Uh, she the person who's going to be listened to and help you design that new proposition that appeals to a growth market that's going to be where your future revenues come from. You know, is she going to be the person who speaks up and helps you redesign a biased algorithm that you've not really thought through properly and you've trained on the wrong data set? Or bluntly, is she just going to leave for a job at Google because they're a better place to work for her and, and they're more open to her skills and talents? I think that's kind of really the, for me, is the sort of the, the drumbeat underneath why diversity inclusion really becomes about belonging in a in an agility context. Mm. And our research, we found that uh, truly equal cultures have over six times greater innovation mindset than inequal ones. Wow. So there's a, there's a massive multiplier here between um, people bringing those ideas to the table and what you get in terms of you know, the generation of new ideas and the ability to share those ideas. So I don't think people are expecting superheroes as leaders right now. They just want honest, competent, trustworthy leadership that includes everyone in the crew and helps people bring their best to operate in this these very disrupted times and, you know, very agile businesses that we're all trying to build. Wow, that, that is fascinating. That stat that you just mentioned around um, truly equal cultures have over six times greater innovation mindsets than inequal ones. That, that is worth just re-emphasizing because I don't know to what extent uh, companies, organizations, leaders and, and people and practitioners are just aware of and it's, it's such a powerful one. Um, again, sort of going back to the psychological uh psychologically safe environment and its importance what does that look like in practice i know that you've mentioned the example of the collaboration between what if and Lloyds banking group but can you see these new behaviors if you don't actually move the formal structure of the organization can they actually come to fruition so it's a really good question this is one comes up all the time with clients we're looking at um new mindsets and behaviors we're looking at the, the fuel the motivation behind those new behaviours, um, but also the friction that might stop um, them happening. Now, I'm a great believer that actually just adopting a new organisation structure over the same old work and the same old working practices will not by itself create business agility or transformation. You know, you can take a meeting and call it a stand-up. It's yeah. still the same old meeting, right? Um, what I think is more relevant to think about is self-empowering teams, um, more intelligent organisation structures and extending ecosystems that are going to allow us to change the way we work and the way um, the work gets done continually. Um, so I, I do think we can move behaviour without moving structure, but we can hopefully find some structures that enable a new way of working that we want um, in, a, in an easier way that so the behaviour sort of flows through the 
the contours of the organization more easily. Um, what I think is really important is probably less so structure and more about teams and individual accountabilities. Um, mm-hmm. you know, in agile organization, teams are often smaller. They're often more, for example, the right creative and human technical skills coming together or the team self-managing to a, an outcome or a priority um, rather than being supervised. That's, that's some of the stuff that really unleashes the energy of of teams and, and lots of potential of individuals within agile organizations. Mm. Um, what was really important in there is it's not, you know, it's not chaos. It's not, you know, the sort of the, the children's football team where they all, all 22 players run around the pitch after the, after the same ball, yeah. there's a level of, you know, accountability and um, alignment around the autonomy and around the empowerment that's there. So the decisions are made close to the work. Um, so they make close to the customer interaction and teams are responsible for how their uh, their team performs and how they improve over time. Um, but it's not a free for all. The really critical thing is that you've got, you know, teams that are working on the right things within the organization and mm-hmm. that autonomy that you're giving them, the energy you're giving them is aligned back to those priorities. Completely. And I know you have a, a very huge mental library of examples just to put um, this into um, just to bring it to life a little bit. So I would love if you wouldn't mind sharing some of those examples with us that you can that you can think of that relate to this. Yeah, sure. So well, the, the really famous ones, um, you know, Reed Hastings at Netflix, and you know their journey from selling DVDs, which they still do, <laughs> to, yeah. to streaming to the a, a content production house that has won you know many many Emmys and Oscars and so on. I think maybe more, more practically for most of us, you know, outside of um, that tech world, you know, Michelin have, have really driven this concept into um, their best performing factories at the factory floor level, putting operational responsibility back to workers and leaders. And I think what's really, really interesting is this idea about more intelligent organisations. So those that are designed to continually adapt and flex to their environmental situation. And one of the key things about those is that they are, um, that flexibility is often designed into modularity um, inside the organization and externally about how it plugs into a an ecosystem. So we're, we're less addressing structure just inside the, or organization just inside the, the business boundaries, but actually thinking about our role, our structure, and our partners in an ecosystem. And a, a really good example of that would be hire the uh, massive Chinese white goods manufacturer um, and they're split into 4,000 plus micro enterprises. What's really interesting is those micro enterprises each have a separate P&L, a small number of staff, normally 10 to 15, and the ability to be spun off the core business and for those staff to invest in, the, in, in that little sub business. So that deliberate cell design that they've adopted gives them the flexibility to plug in external capabilities or for those capabilities that they've nurtured to become part of the of the environment, and you've seen that in a lot of um, organisations. You know, really big notable examples like Google and Amazon that have turned into you know multi sided platform businesses now. But I think that's very much the the future about where business is going. That ability to move quickly is not moving quickly on always on your own efforts and your own energies and resources. It's sometimes about moving quickly together with others in the market. 
um, and doing doing things more collaboratively and faster as a result. Yeah, and then, then in that case, the importance of ecosystem and partnership is um, is even more prevalent. And um, yeah, we, we see that businesses go way far ahead than others when they have that partnership and that ecosystem in place. Yeah, it's, it's about whether they see the outside world as something always to be competed with or sometimes whether they source of collaboration inspiration completely and i also think uh, accenture is a very good example of this and how it has shifted into um embracing the partnerships and the ecosystems with um, various numbers of industry players who also may happen to be competitors so that's a, a very interesting and a very good point so thank you very much for sharing andy and um, I guess alluding to one of my last questions, it sounds like despite a lot of hype we hear about technology being the driver of agile change, you're advocating for more human-centric approach to steering our way through disruption, through stormy times. Um, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with us on how culture inspires agility, um, but also how agility, how we can be more agile in the face of disruption? Sure. So I think probably a few things. First of all, disruption is here and now. It's it's multifaceted. Everything from you know social change to geopolitics to technology. Um, I think this idea about being in a post digital world is super important. This idea that with disruption and uncertainty comes a desire for trust and responsibility. I think the key thing is that recognizing that change is continual, both in today's business but also building out the business of the future. So our response um, in building agile organizations in embracing business agility has to be both that kind of edge responsiveness about self-tuning to a marketplace and to an external environment, but also that kind of core responsiveness of can we build the future business out? Can we transform ourselves over and over again? I think right at the heart of those, that kind of that need for disruption agility is is that focus on being agile, not doing agile. So mm embracing those behaviors and mindsets that allow us to continually renew ourselves at small scale and big scale. And those are truly, truly human things to embrace. And they're underpinned by psychological safety, belonging and trust. But then lastly, I think the, the key thing is um, that transformation of business is not created through technology alone. Um, but technology can do huge things when applied to human problems in the world. Um, but that's really where value is being created, where technology, data and people meet to create new customer and colleague experiences, new um, possibilities for um, us as humans and really unlock the potential of our people and our organisations. Um, so I think for, for me, those are, you know, why in the face of disruption, we need to have a really true human response. Brilliant. And Andy, I was going to summarize our conversation, but you've done that for me. So thank you very much. And uh, really for me, at the end there, really, we were able to see the structure of the why, the how and the what really um, described in a brilliant way. So thank you so much for sharing those insights, your thoughts, your experiences, lessons learned and what you're observing out there in the market and with our clients. Thanks, Ellie. What a great conversation. I want to thank Andy Young for sharing his insights and observations on how agility can help us in the face of disruption. Let us know how you're doing out there. Send us a note at accenture.com forward slash talking agility or find me on Twitter. 
we have so much more to cover. I hope you tune in. Until next time, I'm your host, Elite Zinacheva. Thank you for listening.